0: It's time to Accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to Episode 720, that's 720, of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Hey, I have another great episode lined up for you this week. Joining me as my guest is Wayne Cerullo. Wayne is the Chief Prospect Officer at B2P Partners. And today we're going to be talking about the danger that sellers face by putting too much of their focus and maybe too much of their faith on data in sales and, in the process, diverting their attention and their focus away from the actual prospects that they're trying to help. There's a lot being written these days about really the dangers of substituting data for your own judgment. And not just in sales, but all sorts of fields. But this is especially the case, I think, in sales, because we see data itself being presented without really relevant context, without controlling any variables, and we see too many overly broad conclusions being drawn. So, Wayne and I are going to dig into why sellers, instead of trusting their expertise, trusting their experience, are increasingly becoming dependent on numbers. We'll discuss the limitations of quantitative data and try to get to the answer of what is the real purpose of the data we have in sales? What's the real use we should be having for the data in sales? And we'll talk some about marketing as well to make sure we don't leave them out of the picture. So, before I get to Wayne, I want to take a quick second to talk about the sales house. This is the sales performance accelerator program for B2B sellers just like you. In typical sales training, you learn a lot of things with the exception of how to win you know, In sales, winning orders is not the result of your process or the methodology you use. It comes from executing a lot of small things extremely well. In fact, I like to say not even extremely well, savagely well. And In the sales house, I'll focus on teaching you the strategies, behaviors, techniques, habits, and skills you don't learn in sales training, but that make the ultimate difference in your ability to win new business. So, if you're not up to speed on these essential skills, then you're going to be at a competitive disadvantage, and a sales house is the resource you need to reach the next level as well as the level above that. So, come join. Members get unlimited access to checklists, playbooks, courses, coaching, mentoring, and an engaged community to help you sell more with confidence, with more trust, more impact, and greater acumen. So, come learn how to become the winningest version of you in the sales house. Visit SalesHouse.com that is thesaleshouse.com. All right, let's jump into it. Wayne, welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. It's good to see you. You're joining us from where today? Uh, I'm
1: on the left side of the country uh, near uh, Mount Diablo in uh, sunny California.
0: And, no, you're, you're talking uh, politically or geographically?
1: They're both, actually, right? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a double on time, my friend. <laughs> I've lived on both coasts. I've also lived in Paris. So, I've been in New York, um, Paris, and San Francisco and uh, been able to see marketing from a lot of different vantage points in the world. <laughs> well, tell
0: people a little bit about what you do.
1: Yeah, so um, after working with a number of companies and a number of agencies in the B2B space, Uh, I started a consultancy called B2P, which has the mission of helping marketers and salespeople become more focused on the people who are their prospects. It's a mission about...
0: uh, So you're saying saying they're not?
1: Mm, Yeah, could be. (laughs) Well, no, you can be director... Yeah. So, so, Andy, one of the things that I'm seeing and one of the things that I appreciate in the work that you're doing is that um, we're in a stage right now where in marketing and in sales, and I'm a marketing guy, so I apologize in advance, uh, but I'm seeing this both in the marketing world as well as in sales, that uh, the humanity is getting squeezed out of us, I think, as the data tends to drown us. And I, I think we're honestly uh, suffering from a, from a data delusion, and I mean that in two ways. One, that, that the data is, is overwhelming us in a deluge of numbers, and the other is that we are um, drowning in what we are looking at. We're focused on the pipes instead of the water in the pipes. And that's the people that we're looking to engage to help solve problems. What we otherwise call selling.
0: Mm-hmm. So the impact. Excuse me. The impact of that, then, from your perspective, is yeah, you know, this this focus on the data rather than the the, the people, let's say, that are generating it. Um, what's what is that impact that you're seeing? You say squeezing the humanity out of it. What's what's that look like?
1: Yeah, so Andy, I just came from the Martech West uh talk in which um uh Scott Brinker revealed that there are now 7040 martech companies.
0: <laughs> I think we yeah. need more, don't you? Yeah. Cuz we we, 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 we we all we all we all should have our own martech company. <laughs> That's right. You don't. Whoops, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> In
1: in fact, you know, if you do the math, as we're speaking, Andy, another Martech company is being born, and before before we're done, there'll be you know four thousand forty
0: three. Well, but take you that know. number and say, okay, almost all of this has occurred, or certainly over the last ten years, and really over the last five. So we're talking yeah. about you know more than a thousand new companies. Did he say why more companies think there's room to enter this market?
1: Well, I I can't speak to that, but what I can speak to is the experience of B2B marketing and salespeople in this deluge. And that's that um, we are, particularly on the marketing side, we're, we're, I believe, being distracted from the work that we really need to do. Um, We are a company that helps companies understand better marketing and salespeople, understand better who their prospects are, and why they buy, and why they don't. That's fundamentally what what we help with. And you can't manage what you don't know. Mm -hmm. So we help people to better know the people that they're trying to attract and to convert. So in the process of doing that, I realized that the conversations I've been having with marketers in the last few years, as you were mentioning, just let's say the last three years, have become odd. <laughs> and I have to say this from my own perspective, we needed to do for ourselves the work that we do for our clients. And so, over the last year, we've done research with a wide variety of B2B marketers to better understand what is the marketing experience like these days. And from, the from, who's, from whose from whose perspective? From the marketers' perspective. From the market, okay. like to be, you know, rather than Rather than talking with like being as our clients, talk with them as our subject. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, one of the things that we found is that, not surprisingly, uh, the nature of marketing is fundamentally changing. And more and more of marketing is program management. You're running a data program, you're running a, a series of campaigns. And uh, you are focusing on the data that comes from that because of the focus on ROI. All of that is good. The part of it that's um, sinisterly bad is that, uh, or hidden bad is that we are less. We have less opportunity to focus on the people that we are trying to help as prospects. And I suspect that's true on the sales side as well. I and mean, you can tell me better. But we have been hearing that, um, and it's been reported that the largest thing that marketers spend time and money on these days is marketing technology. Did you know, Andy, that more than spending money on people, more than spending money on media, Marketers are spending money on technology. It's the number one
0: marketing expenditure. Mm-hmm. That doesn't doesn't surprise you. You're saying more than ad spend? Yes. Oh, okay. That's a little surprising, yeah. Yeah, it's literally true. And uh I just think about but, but you can sales. sort of understand that though. So I think that that and this is I think we're seeing in replicated in sales as well, as is you know, it, it lets you sort of <laughs> put the blame somewhere else, right? Because we're using this technology, we're using the system, and we followed the advice we get from these experts on how to use it. And if it doesn't work, well, we did what they told us to. And I think to a point that that I think you're sort of driving at is—and correct me if I'm wrong—but is that to me one of the uh, I would say artifacts. Uh, you know one of the things that 's happening with sales, certainly, I believe it 's happening in marketing as well, because you 're talking about these odd conversations, is that you no longer can have a conversation where someone says, "Well, you know, this is what my experience tells me. This is what my gut tells me based on 10, 15, 20, 30 years of experience this is what it's no, what do the numbers say?
1: And the numbers are not bad Andy, as we 'll both acknowledge, but you 're right. Uh, what we lose sight of is that when we say data, the image that goes in our mind without even being aware of it is quantification. And there's a number of limitations to quantitative data. And I'm a quant guy, so I'm totally happy to have numbers, but they're not the only data that exists. It's not the only important information. And a lot of our quantitative data is misleading. I've heard you talk about this with other salespeople that if you look simply at transactional data of how many calls did you make, how much was your average time spent on the phone, what it does is it turns us all into automatons without act- with out a focus on what the real meaning of the data is. And I know this has happened in marketing that the prospect has actually gotten lost in the MQL, SQL, mm-hmm. etc. Uh, 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 it's a technical term. It is. It's a good one, yeah. <laughs> and, and what we've done is we've lost the buyer. And I say this because the work that we do is fundamentally to represent the buyer in the process. I have spoken personally with thousands of B2B buyers about what is it that they're looking for in the process, whether we call it marketing or sales. And one of the things I have to say I humbly realized after several years is that none of these people wants to buy anything. That fundamentally what they want is the problem that they're trying to solve to go away. And buying something is, frankly, the least of their um, options, the the least attractive of their options. They would like it to be uh, a problem that's episodic and that it would just
0: disappear magically. And they'd like magical unicorns to come solve it. And they'd like somebody (laughs) else in the company to take
1: responsibility
0: for it. So the, the last
1: thing is that you need to now be part of a large and growing You know, buying team that needs to go out and spend more time that you don't have, talking to more vendors that you haven't met, meeting with more salespeople, having more conversations in order to solve a problem that still hasn't gone away. Yeah, the reality we have to come back to, and now, how are we going to help them? How are salespeople going to bring value to that experience?
0: Well, first of all, they have to understand. And I'll, I'll sort of not spin what you said, but I am going to put a little shine on it. Perhaps is that what buyers want is buyers very simply. And when somebody has a problem, or they got a change they need to make, or an objective they're trying to achieve, and it requires buying a solution, and this is the thing that salespeople just don't understand is that, and really it starts with the leaders more than the salespeople. But it's it's is that buyers want to quickly gather information to make a good decision with the least investment of time and effort possible. This is what they want. And so your selling process should be aligned to help them achieve that. Instead, we create these sales processes that are really orthogonal in most respects to this mission the buyer has because it's about what we as sellers think we need and you just have to keep it. It's very simple. The buyer is trying to do something extremely simple. Quickly gather information, make a good decision, not the best decision. We could spend an hour on that. They're not trying to make the best decision. They're trying to make the good enough decision with the least investment time and effort possible. If you can keep that in mind as a seller, that that can inform your mission and your process and how you interact with the buyer. But no, no, we want to have these elaborate sales processes that satisfy some internal need but, to your point, don't help the buyer. Andy, that's a profound insight and it
1: builds on two other observations that we made in this research about how B2B marketing has changed. It not only has become program management, but it also has become, at least in the B2B SaaS world, change management that fundamentally, our role as marketers and as salespeople is to help a buyer not just buy our technology, but fundamentally to change the way business is done in their company. (laughs) Whoa. Did I just like make... This is now a much larger conversation. Oh, but wait, there's more. The other part of this is that marketing has become not just program management and change management, but it's become consensus management, because the buying process that you just talked about, Andy, doesn't uh, uh, occur in the singular. It never occurs in the singular. Right. At least it involves five people, and at the most, there's some data that says that it involves up to twenty-one people. Yeah, I mean, so that's all, all over the board. Depends you know, on the company. About, yeah. Yeah. It needs to happen. It's a very public decision, Andy. That that what I'm doing as a as a buyer is as one of many buyers is I'm making a public decision with my colleagues. That's going to last long after you know my conversation with a uh, sales representative or with a um, reading you know a piece of content. Um, it's. I'm going to continue to be working with these people who are are in my company, may include my boss or something, some other person with whom I have some sort of political relationship. Who knows the context that's going on here? So, marketing and sales need to work together more effectively to uh, navigate through this labyrinth of relationships that is becoming larger. Uh, The buying groups are becoming more diverse, and as a result, business as usual, Andy, is leading us into a scenario where closing is, and you look at the research, uh, the number of lost deals is increasing, the length of the consideration process is increasing, um, and it's becoming harder to do what what was hard to do in the first place. So Mm -hmm. the way that we're currently doing things is not taking us to where we need to go. And I think in this case, the data or the focus on quantification of the process is actually distracting us from the real
0: work that we need to be doing. Well, I think, yeah, I I agree with that for the most part. I think the thing that, that is missing from this whole equation, and it's true about our tech, it's true about sales technology, is that first of all, from a data standpoint, there is no metric reliably that exists for the buyer experience and the buyer progress through their buying process. Mm -hmm. Now, we have on the sales side, we've got our linear stage-based process, we've got exit criteria for every stage, yada, yada, yada. Doesn't reflect the buyer experience at all. And so, we're really... Completely unaware of really in this really complex process, you decide. And Gartner's done a tremendous amount of research on this, and released in the fall their buyer enablement study, which had a map of what the buyer process looked like. Which was they themselves, Brent Adamson, calls the bowl of spaghetti. Is you know it's anything but a linear process. We really don't have a a metric for gauging where they are in this process. Because it's a recursive process, it's, it's not linear, it's, it's complicated, lots of people involved. And so, absent that, you know, we're sort of shooting in the dark. And then we get to our technologies, and our technologies, our marketing technology, and our sales technology. And I've, on this show, I've interviewed literally hundreds of founders and CEOs of uh, tools companies and so on, and... <laughs> The question they all have a hard time answering is: Okay, great, your tool is interesting, but how does your tool help the buyer complete their mission? And it's not—you know, CRM doesn't help the buyer. The sales technology, our engagement platforms, everything else—they're great tools from a seller, but the point is they're not having an impact in terms of increasing productivity in a true sense. Productivity of our sellers. And maybe you've seen this, but I've not seen any bit of data that says that fundamentally, salespeople today, if we adjust for inflation, are generating more revenue per person than salespeople did 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And so we've had this overlay of all this technology. And I think that's sort of the point we're getting to in this data. And it's not that it's inherently bad. We just don't know how to use it yet to affect the outcomes that we want.
1: It's a good observation, Andy. Uh, One of the tools that we use, um, and I think any responsible company ought to do, is a serious independent look at the forensics behind uh, accounts that they've won and accounts that they've lost. Mm -hmm. And I would say, rather than accounts that they've lost, I'd say accounts they didn't win because 60% of B2B engagements end in no decision. So that's our number one competitor, whoever you are. Lack of action, lack of consensus, lack of motion. And think how, how well, frustrating that is from the buyer's perspective. Oh my god. Actually, I'm, not, I'm not sure it is,
0: because I think the buyers make that decision earlier in the process than salespeople think. And so I think I think in my I believe this to my core, I don't just think this this is based on my experience selling hundreds of millions of dollars worth of, of orders, and especially some large, complex or really huge organizations is decisions and there's research that substantiates this. there's research about decision making it takes place in sort of two steps. The first one is, yes, no, are we going to do it or not? right? And then the second one is so who are we going to do it with? Well, if you have a no decision, that means they never made that first. Yes or no. Meaning we didn't make the case compelling enough for them to say, yeah, based on everybody we've spoken to so far, right, before we even select a vendor, we haven't heard enough to convince us that we can achieve the outcomes we want to achieve at a reasonable ROI or whatever the the metric we're using to measure it. So we're just not going to go forward. And yet, what happens though is sellers are running into that what they think at the end of their selling process but the buyer stopped a long time ago. The buyer it wasn't, it wasn't even close to making a decision yet. That's what that no decision is. It's it's earlier in the process than people want to think. And so, we, as sellers, we're wasting this tremendous amount of time because we do such a bad job in qualification that we don't understand. Like a customer, how do I made the decision not to move forward?
1: It, it's a great observation, Andy, and it actually reflects um, you know the work that we've done. Where we are really focused on the trigger for the consideration. Um, We ask when did this begin? And we really probe into this in great detail because any problem that a potential buyer is looking to solve was formerly simply a fact of life. It was just the way business is done, it was difficult, Um, it may have cost them something, but until there's a perception of a solution, there never will be any action. And there never will be any public combined action. So think of what it means for something to become an issue to be solved. It means that an individual needs to see a situation, and then they need to gather a group of colleagues together to agree together that they are going to turn this into something that the company ought to solve. Uh-huh. I, that one sentence included a lot of time, a lot of political capital, a lot of meetings, a lot of engagements. So understanding what is the business case behind this scenario, this situation. And what is the evidence that we can overcome it? And what is your strategy for overcoming it uh, is really important. And one of the ways that we have documented lots of people find out that something can be solved is they talk with salespeople and they say, so here's our situation. What do you got? And that may look like a prospect, but that's actually someone looking to see whether there's a business case to be made. Do we... Is it likely that we can solve this problem in an agreeable amount of time and money and effort? And that's the first question that needs to get answered. And it's also the last question that needs to get answered <laughs> before the contract gets signed. So, yeah, you're right. It is messy. And so if you don't do that serious independent win-loss look at what the patterns are, in the deals that you've you've done, uh, you're going to be missing a lot of intelligence.
0: No, I agree. I agree. I mean, I I yeah, a huge and fervent advocate that you know you can point to almost any issue that you have with sales short of prospecting. You know, once you once you have somebody that you're speaking with, and you look at your close rate and say, We lost for this reason, we lost for this reason, so on and so forth. You can trace almost all of them back to discovery and qualification. And you know, qualification and disqualification, it just becomes so critical. So you have to, because you're not gonna be a fit, right? There's there's this obsession with objection handling and so on and sales. And the fact is that you know, the primary issue is, you know, do we have a product market fit? And you're not a fit for everyone. Things, some things aren't objections. There's facts of life. You're not a good fit for these people. Don't try to spend time handling the objection. Go find another prospect that's a better fit for you. And to your point about so many of the opportunities ending up in no decision, we weren't, they weren't a fit. We weren't making the case that they could say, yeah, we've got enough information now to say, we're going to go forward and make a decision and we're going to talk to these vendors and make a choice about who we're going to make the change with. So they didn't make the decision to change. Again, that's so much time and effort and sales is spent. And you know, there's lots of reasons why, which we don't have time to get into now, going tracing all the way to you know, how we incentivize and and measure performance uh, for salespeople and for managers. But it's such a critical point, is we just have to 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 your point is really understand our customers, the experience they're going through. And I think one thing that's really missing is how do we measure that? How do we accurately measure that as sellers, as marketers? What what the customer thinks about us right now and how far into their process they are?
1: It's a a great question that, um, in its pre quantitative form, uh, can be um, uh, answered, unveiled, addressed in doing win loss work. One of the additional areas that we have found in this process that's broken is, in a sense, the handoff, what we would, from the inside, say is the handoff from marketing to sales, where there's uh, some sort of messaging that got the prospect on an inbound basis, let's say, engaged with the company. And then there's another set of conversations that happens uh, in the sales process. Mm-hmm. And one of the the places where the buyer experience, uh, the the BX here, is broken is that handoff between the messaging of uh, marketing and the messaging of sales. One of the things that we have uh, started doing to help bridge that and to help get the benefit of um, buyer intelligence both from the sales side and the marketing side is to look at aligning those messages. Uh, We look at identifying what messages seem to be working among the best sales performers uh, in uh, closing prospects successfully. What are those messages? And how do those relate to the messages that marketing is using? And Often not that well aligned. Mm-hmm. So, if you could align them better, then you could, and this is, I think, a beautiful thing for sales and marketing alignment to actually come together around a better understanding and better serving the prospect. So, we enable a conversation that heretofore hasn't happened that looks at um, buyer intelligence from both the sales perspective and the marketing perspective together. So it's kind of like two parents, Andy, coming together and saying, well, um, you know, we may disagree on a lot of things, but at least we're agreed on, you know, raising our kids well. And so how, how can we work together to make that happen?
0: Yeah, though I think it's a little different. I think the way it currently works and I'll stick with your parent analogy, it's as if one parent says, well, I'll take them from birth to six and you'll take them from six to adolescence, right, and and that's problematic, right? And so, I th- I think what I agree about the alignment of the messaging, but I think what what is more important is to sort of take that a step further and say, look, really, what marketing's doing from a messaging standpoint is setting the table, and what sales need to do is build on that messaging because necessarily, what the prospect wants once they're in sales' hands is a different level and depth of information that mm-hmm. they need in order to proceed. But yeah, the the buyers there because they saw something in marketing that that attracted them and open up this conversation assuming as an in inbound or even if they had seen ads and they responded to an outbound outreach. But but it's to me it's just setting the table and then the continuity is important where we fall off and again, not sure we have enough time to go through all this today, but is where we fall off is one of the issues we talked about early on is then it's the onus is on the salespeople say, okay, can they provide the value that will enable the buyer to make that initial go-no-go decision and having made that, then be able to get them across the finish line. Because the goal for sellers, I think if they think about this quick you know, in the right fashion, if buyers are trying to quickly gather information, to make good decisions that first decision is are yeah, we going to make a change or not they're going to make that based on some information you provide that enables them to have enough insight to say yeah if we proceed yeah we'll be able to achieve our outcomes with with this type of solution they base that decision on somebody's product <laughs> and so for me I always want that to be me so I I I I front loaded as much of the the value quote unquote as I could into the selling process early on. So discovery became critical and to be very precise and really understand what the one true thing is that was driving the decision. Qualify them against my product and services offering, and be the one they were making that that first decision about that was their vision in mind was my solution. And if you could do that, then you're pretty golden.
1: The last area to build on that, Andy, um, that we've seen that where things break down is the lack of uh, consistency and focus in uh, the that handoff from marketing to sales. Mm. So, um, sales playbooks have become more common these days. Um, sure. Unfortunately, they often mean it's the the bin in which all the marketing material. Um Stuff to use the technical term is dumped uh, to use another technical term uh, and what we if we really take seriously s- that sales is service and that we are bringing value right from the beginning to our prospects who want to solve a solution solve a problem, then the sales playbook ought to be the place where the best of buyer um uh, practices, uh, I'm sorry, of seller practices uh, is combined with insights from the buying process. So when we put together a sales playbook, it is not the simply the repository of all the marketing stuff that's available. It's actually the buying experience as though buyers had designed it themselves. And that comes from having spoken with a bunch of them Mm -hmm. and understanding what they want and speaking with a bunch of sellers, the best sales performers, and understanding what works. So putting those together becomes an incredibly powerful tool that then allows what you were just talking about to happen more consistently. And for the best of the buying of the selling practices and the best of the buyer insights to come together into a, a consistent experience.
0: Yeah, and I think the the challenge to that, and we'll wrap up with this just because we're running out of time here, but unfortunately, is, is that, as Gartner pointed out in their research, is that for you know, most of these these purchases, uh, again, if we're talking about a product or service that some company may buy once every five years or so on, they don't have a process. And whatever research you've done into creating your playbook about, oh, this is what they always do, they don't always do it because it's unique every time they do it. And so increasingly, I think that that the playbooks have to be much more flexible because part of the yes. job of the seller is going to have to be going in yeah. and really helping the buyer learn how to buy, learn how they buy, because they, they don't know. I mean, they haven't documented... You know, if we buy a CRM system every ten years, there's not a documented process for buying a CRM system, and this is sort of replicated. So I think you know, Gartner really hit on it, and I think it's a key thing for sellers. They need to really think about is it. instead of doubling down on fixed playbooks, it's like yeah. understanding that saying the situations are unique, and you're going to have to be very flexible
1: yep.
0: in terms of how you adopt them, use them, update them, and so on, based on the situation. So. Well, Wayne, it's been fantastic. We're unfortunately running out of time. We'll have to do this again.
1: Amen. Yeah, this was fun. And You know what? Probably
0: the issues that we're talking about aren't going to go away, so I think we can, <laughs> uh, we can update this at some point in the future. No, no. That's that's a whole separate conversation. But why <laughs> why can't we make some of these fundamental sales problems just disappear, given we've been doing this now for 130 years? Um, you'd think we should be able to. So, but whole separate conversation. One podcast at a time, Andy. Yeah, one podcast, one email, so on. All right. Well, Wayne, tell folks how they can get in touch with you. Sure. So, uh,
1: the information that I've referenced can be found at our website at b2ppartners.com. And B2P is uh, not B2B, but it's it's better than B2B. It's business to prospect, b2ppartners.com. Excellent. All right. Well, Wayne, thank you very much. Thank you, Andy.
0: Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guest, Wayne Cerullo. Join me again next week as my guest will be Chris Mullins. Chris is the phone sales doctor and CEO of Law Firm Conversions an author of a book titled Monkey Business for Today's Phone-Weary Office hear, speak, see, no evil, and take Friday off. We're going to talk about how to improve your conversion of your inbound calls into qualified sales leads. You'll enjoy this conversation, so be sure to join us then. Before you go, don't forget to check out The Sales House. That is the sales performance Accelerator for B2B sellers just like you. Visit thesaleshouse.com. So thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.